You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning, Pasco Vale. A warm welcome to all of you and those who are here and those who are listening online as well. We hope that uh, the Grace Changes Everything series has inspired you to walk closer with the Lord. Now, my mother-in-law, Silly, thanks all of you for the prayers as she begins her recovery phase from her lung cancer surgery. And indeed, by God's grace, she is on the mend. So that's good news. Thank you very much. Uh, she will still need to undergo some chemotherapy, though, but the skillful hands of the surgeons managed to get most, if not all, of the cancer out. Um, so praise the Lord for that. Um, Kiki also, as you heard, just arrived literally this morning at 8 o'clock. So uh, it was a big rush to get to church, but it's all right. She's back here safe and sound, and that's the most important. So we thank you all greatly for your prayers and your concerns. Now, before we get into the Lord's Word, let us bow our heads in prayer and just prepare our hearts to hear what the Lord has in store for us today. Let's bow. Dear Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the gift of Scripture. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We pray, dear Lord, that as we study your word today, that you speak to us each and individually and touch our hearts, convict our spirit, and challenge us to become more like you each day. May the meditation of our hearts and the words that we speak today be holy and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now today, I'd like to begin the message by telling you a story. It's about a boy who began a life at sea at the age of 11. He joined a crew of a sailing ship that his, father's, his father captains, and at 18, he's on his way to visit a friend. He was kidnapped and forced to join the Royal Navy. He became a midshipman, but runs away. They catch him, take him back to the ship, tie him down, and even mercilessly beat him up. He became so angry, he decided to murder the captain and commit suicide. But before he could get a chance, he was transferred to another ship, a slave trader. Because of his rebellious nature, they traded him off as a slave in Africa. He eventually gets freed, but instead of detesting slavery, he joins the slave trade himself, shipping slaves to the US and the UK. He became a ruthless blaspheming captain who rules with an iron fist. In his own words, he says, a wretch, a miserable sinner is he. One night, his ship encounters a terrible storm. As an experienced sailor, he knew his end was near. In desperation, he cried out to God for mercy. And God hears him, and the storm miraculously stills. And they manage to find their way into port. And he cries out to God again. This time for God to free him from the slavery to sin. God hears it and saves, and by his grace saves him. Eventually he's transformed from a blaspheming slave trader into a faithful servant of God. Now it sounds familiar. Well, it's probably because he wrote this song, the famous song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. His name was John Newton. 
And he later became a preacher of God's grace. And what a wonderful transformation and story of God's grace in this person's life, isn't it? Now, if you're a Christian today, this story is your story and my story. No, we are not slave traders. Uh, we, are, we are not living in the 18th century. But we are sinners, all of us, sinners, saved by grace and changed by God's grace. We continue our series in Ephesians, and today the message should be deeply personal to all of us. We look at, we'll be looking at three key aspects, before grace, after grace, and changed by grace. Now before grace, first up, verses 1 to 3, Paul talks about what we've saved from, and there are three aspects. Firstly, you read in, in the verse, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, there's a lot of debate about human nature. You know, mainly we think, generally we are neither good nor bad. We're probably neutral or something. We often think ourselves as beings who can choose at any time whether we want to follow God or not. That somehow, somehow, we are in control and we are the center of our own world. You know, it's true that people without God see themselves as the center of their own world, isn't it? But it's not true that we are in control or that we can simply switch sides on the whim. Without God, I will be dead. Without God, you will be dead. Not just dead, but spiritually dead. For the wages of sin is death, we read in Romans. There is no hope. There is no salvation. Our destiny is sealed and is only headed to one place. And that one place is the eternity without God and spiritual damnation. That's where we are all headed towards. We are dead in trespasses and sins. These words cover the ways in which we are dead. Trespasses means we have crossed boundaries. We have crossed boundaries into a territory where we don't belong. Doing stuff that God says that we shouldn't be doing. Example, putting someone or something else in his place. At the center of our affections. Sins is the falling short or rebellion of God. Not doing what God wants us to do. Example, love our neighbors as we love ourselves. As far as God and His wills are concerned, we are well and truly spiritually dead. That's who we are. Not only are we dead, we are enslaved, says the scripture. Following the cause of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. The Bible tells us there are three things that we as human beings are enslaved to. Firstly, the world, this world, society without a reference to God. The whole system that leaves God out of it. Where we just go along with the crowd. 
whatever the society says is okay, it's okay for me to do. If enough people think it's okay to smoke weed, have sex before marriage, or be as greedy as you like, that is okay for me to do it. That's the way of the world. A slave to the world's way instead of God's way is what we've become. Next, he tells us that we are slaves to the devil. Paul says that behind those worldly ways is not some random or innocent idea. We are actually following Satan when we sin. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The one who right from the very beginning said, Did God really say? Dot, dot, dot. And urges every human to live a life in rebellion against God. And the grace that he offers us in Christ. Thirdly, the flesh, our sinful nature. Whatever we feels good to us, do it. It's a mentor of our world. Because it's easy to see these addictions, especially if it's drugs, alcohol, and sex, extra. But it's not so easy to see when it's more acceptable addictions, such as idolization, acceptance and confirmation, wealth and power. Things directed at satisfying our own selfish cravings that have me and my pleasure at the center of it all. These, my friends, are the things that enslave us as we continue our rebellion against our God. Some more evident and some perhaps even subtle. And because of this, we are condemned and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now the outcome of this deadness and this enslavement is not just that we are far away from God, but we are under His condemnation. We are children of wrath. And God's anger is rightfully directed at us because He's holy and righteous and rebelling against our Creator has consequences. Notice that all this is by nature. By nature. We don't have to work hard at it. It's as natural as breathing to us. It almost happens automatically without us giving it too much thought. We know that we are doing the wrong thing, but we give ourselves excuses and tell ourselves it doesn't matter. Everyone else is doing it. Or say to ourselves, we are only human. We make mistakes. It's okay. But it does matter to God. It does because He made us. He made us to be something different. He made us to be in a relationship with Himself. Notice that this state is universal as well. It's all mankind. Next, we're looking at being dead. Enslaved and condemned. This seems extremely terrible, doesn't it? Maybe right now you're feeling hopeless and depressed. And so you should be. Because this is, that is who we really are. However, 
However, we can thank God for the word, but. But God, in verse 4 says, But God, being in his richness, in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. That is why, my friends, it is called the gospel. The gospel literally means good news. That's what the gospel is. Good news. This is the game changer. This is the turning point. Paul moves us on to describing what it's like to live after grace. What happens when God steps in? And again, there are three things. Three things, and they are all with Christ. Which means these three things that happen to Jesus will happen to us as well. Rather than dead, we are made alive. Rather than enslavement, we are raised up rather than, and coheres. Rather than being condemned, we are given glory and honor and are seated with Him. These three things have their parallels in our lives and it all happens with Christ and through Jesus' work for us. So let's look at the first one. It's about being alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our trespass, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, it says. We were dead people coming to life. Don't you just love being around people who just come to know Jesus in their personal life? They discover that wonder of the new life, the passion and the love. They're exploring a whole new world of relationship with God. It's because they've come, become alive. They're experiencing the contrast between death and life. Now I wonder how many of us still have that same passion right now. But that's what God does. He makes us alive in our relationship with Him. He gets hold of us spiritually. Dead corpses. And He resurrects us. And it can only happen because He died in our place. From dead to alive. And it's with Christ, in a sense, that was accomplished 2,000 years ago when Jesus died and rose again. Next, we are raised with Christ. And it says in verse 6, and we ra and raised us up with him. As Jesus went up from the earth into heaven, God raises us up with him to be in relationship with God. Now there's the big difference between what happened to Jesus and what happens to us. Now Jesus deserves a place in heaven. The highest of the highs, the holiest of the holies. He never did anything wrong. But we certainly don't, do we? We don't belong there at all. Nothing impure is to be entered there into heaven. 
But with Christ, who never did anything wrong, we can be from enslaved, become free. Not just free, my friends. It tells us that we are seated with Christ. What an honor! And seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are seated with Christ. Our identity is bound with Him. What distinguishes Christians is not just that we love and worship Jesus, that we believe the Bible, or that we live by a certain moral code or standards. What's distinct about Christians is that we are in Christ. That God has so united us to Jesus that we actually share in His resurrection, His ascension, and sitting in the heavenly places. What an honor that has been given to each and every one of us. From being condemned, we are crowned. Here, have you ever been upgraded to a business class class on a flight? I know I've never because I always fly budget. <laughs> But some of you might, and you know how it feels, how awesome it is. You get treated almost like a king. You can have almost anything you ask for in that flight. It's such a privilege, isn't it? Do we deserve to be there? No, no, we don't deserve to be there. We only pay the economy fare or budget fare. There are people who are in that plane that probably deserves more than you to be there. But that is the same with us in heaven. This is all God's work. We did not do anything to deserve to be saved. Nothing. From dead, we've been made alive. From being a slave, we have been freed. From being condemned, we have become crowned. We have been changed by grace, my friends. Now, when you look at what Paul says here about the reasons for this change, what makes the difference? It's all about. It's all to do with God and His character, and who He is. We've seen that He's a God of justice, that He condemns evil, wherever and whoever He sees it. We wouldn't want God to do any less than that, do we? We all know that evil deserves to be condemned and punished. At least when it's did, when it needs to be done to someone else, not me. So how can we be saved? We are told by God's love, love, mercy, and kindness. In verses four to seven, by God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Deep in God's character are two things that seem like opposites. Firstly, His justice. It demands that we are being condemned. But there's also the element of character of mercy. 
that cries out to rescue us. How can listing two things cancel each other out? Well, that's why Jesus had to die. The only way that God's justice can be satisfied is for the sins to be paid through the death in our place and for His love to be perfectly expressed. Now John Newton, the person, the boy that we talked about from the very beginning, knew this. That is why in his story or song, he wrote these two lines. "'Twas grace that gave him a reverence, sorry, "'twas grace that taught my heart of fear, "'and grace my fears relieved. "'God, by His grace, gave him a reverence "'and awe of His holiness and justice. "'But at the same time, it showed him grace "'that took away his fear of judgment, "'and he trusted Christ and His sacrifice in His place. Now, a mother came to Napoleon one time, the great emperor, to plead for her, son, for her condemned son. You know, the emperor told her he committed the same offense twice, and justice is demanded, the death penalty. But sire, she said, she pleaded, I don't ask for justice, only for mercy. But he doesn't deserve it, said Napoleon. No, he doesn't, she admitted but it wouldn't be mercy if he deserved it. And Napoleon said, you're right. I'll grant your request and show him mercy. We are saved not because we deserve it, but because of God's mercy. Next, it is because of God's grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This runs like a chorus throughout this passage. Saved by grace. Simply by God's favor. Nothing else. Nothing else. We get life instead of death. Freedom instead of slavery. A crown instead of condemnation so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Immeasurable riches. Think of the kindest, most generous, most gracious person you know. Multiply that by a million times and you will still not get the, as near the measure of God's kindness. You see, the debt we owe to God is a huge one. So His kindness in forgiving us is also massive. Last but not least is God's grace. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that one may boast. Friends, is there anything that we contribute to our salvation? Aren't those who believe somehow better than those who don't? Is there something within us that makes the difference? The answer is an empathetic no. It's not our doing. 
It's not how we have behaved. It's not how we've lived our life. But it's simply receive from God and believe. That's why there's no room for us to boast. Instead, we have just thankfulness. As we conclude, the first take-home message from this passage is this. Thank God. Thank God. Be so inspired and so in awe of what He has done for you and I. I want to say to you today that if you're without Christ, dead in your sin, just doing whatever gives you pleasure, being away from God, this message is for you. If you don't know God's grace, then cry out to Him to have mercy on you, to resurrect you, to free you, to make you alive. As He did for John Newton and many billions of others. He will forgive you and He will transform your life. If you are a believer, then where to from here? It says in verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, you are His workmanship. You are His creation, His masterpiece. No matter what flaws you have, you are His masterpiece. And He's skillfully and tirelessly working on you and that masterpiece till we reflect the true image of our Master. What's our part? Now whilst we aren't saved by our good works, we are saved for good works that He has prepared for us to do. Now for John Newton, it meant preaching the gospel. He rallied against and working tirelessly on behalf of slaves to abolish that evil system. In 1788, he wrote an influential pamphlet, Thoughts About the African Slave Trade, that he sent to every minister of parliament in Britain. He describes the horrors of the slave trade and his own shame at having been part of it. He lived to see slavery abolished just before he died in 1807. His epitaph reads like this, John Newton, Cluck, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. Towards the end of his life, he said, Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. One, I am a great sinner. And two, Christ is a great Savior. What about you? What about you? What has God shaped you or worked you to be? What is God calling you to do now that you've been saved by grace? What is your role in this world today? As we give thanks for God's grace and mercy, 
let us ask ourselves, what are the good things God wants us to do as He works on His masterpiece this week in your life and in mine? Let's show our thankfulness for God's grace in our actions and reactions this week. Our words and our works have an impact in our society today, in this world today. God made us alive, not so that we can go do whatever we want. God freed us from slavery, so that doesn't mean that we can go do again whatever we want. And God didn't give you the glory for nothing. He gave it to us so that we can reflect Him. Show people how kind and how gracious God truly is. But the most important thing of all, thank Him. Thank God. Thank God and ask Him for His help to grow, to become more and more like Him in every aspect of your life and my life. Let us bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you that you loved us so dearly that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die upon that cross for our sins. Truly, there's nothing we could have done to deserve this grace. There's truly nothing that we could have done to deserve this mercy. But yet, for your love for us so greatly, you send your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to pay the debt that we owe you. The debt of death. Thank you. With our heart, truly, we thank you. For without you, and you alone, we are condemned. But because of you and only in you and through you, together we have been glorified. Challenge us, Lord, in this gift that we've been given and so richly blessed. Tell us how we as your disciples, as your followers, can be transformed and shaped into your masterpiece, into your instrument to bring you glory in this world. Let us not leave today being the same as we have been for the past years of our lives, but instead be challenged to face the future as to how we can be your shining light and testimony in this fallen world. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.